Thank you, Ben, for another creative children's sermon. Uh, it's awesome that we can have people from all over uh, just send in their videos to us. It lets you know that, just like you, we're all practicing our social distancing. Uh, we are living in strange times. There is no doubt about it. And, and I'm thankful, though, that if this was going to happen in our lifetime, it's happened now when we have the technology that we can do what we're doing today and that we can still stay connected with each other through meetings and through FaceTime and through, the, through YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it truly is a blessing that we can do all of this. And one of the neat things about all of the technology and the online stuff are all of the images that have come out of this pandemic. Uh, one of the things that is, uh, I, I see lots of uh, funny memes and things that make me laugh, but one of the things that I really love are some of these more poignant and touching photographs and images that I think that we'll reflect on in years to come, uh, like these up here. Like this one is a, uh, a teacher who's teaching her flute student, um, her, her flautist, I guess you'd say, uh, through a window. And that's just a, such an amazing thing to see. Or this picture of an elderly couple, I believe, if I remember right, they have been married for 60-some-odd years. He's in the nursing home, and they cannot be in touch with each other. So they're visiting through a window or this last picture of a grandfather seeing his brand new granddaughter for the very first time and how hard to not be able to reach out and to touch her. But they're having to interact with each other through a closed door, through a closed window. And normally a closed door is a sign of rejection. It's not a good thing. It's not an act of love. But yet we live in these strange times where a closed door is actually an act of love. But thankfully, all of this will come to pass, and we can once again open our doors and windows, embrace each other in hugs, and get back to living life together. An open door has always been a sign of hope, and no less than on Easter Sunday. On Good Friday, when Jesus died, it must have seemed like heaven slammed shut its doors and locked them tight. And to hammer that point home, Pontius Pilate even put a Roman seal on the door of Jesus' tomb and posted guards. End of story, right? That's what the disciples thought. But on Easter morning, that seal was broken. Those guards fainted. That door burst wide open. And has there ever been a greater sign of hope, a greater act of triumphant love than that open door? The Georgia Baptist Mission Board released some resources last week for churches uh, to help them prepare for and promote and celebrate Easter online. And one of them was this one, and I loved it. I loved that hashtag, Shelter in Hope. And I said, yes, that's it. That's the message for Easter this year. I mean, like you must have felt the day that we discovered and kind of realized it dawned on us that, you know what, we're not going to be able to meet together for worship as a church family. It broke my heart. I was devastated. And then when that shelter-in-place order came, and it was going to be through at the time, April the 13th, I mean, that was like Pilate putting that seal on the door. I mean, it just drove home the fact that we would not be able to be together in this beautiful sanctuary. Yes, we're sheltering in place right now. We're doing it to protect vulnerable people, to protect those we love to protect our community from a virus. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we shelter every day in hope. It's like Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 
Paul said, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We shelter in hope in Jesus as the hope for our eternal and abundant life. Now, another thing that I'm loving right now are all the lit up crosses. Maybe you've got a cross in your yard that says faith, not fear, or faith over fear. And I, I love that because it's so true. We do not live in a spirit of fear. We live by faith. But on Good Friday and on that Saturday, the disciples were living in fear. They thought that they had been cut off from Christ. They feared for their lives. They were sheltering in place. They were sheltering in fear. But on Easter Sunday morning, that changed everything. Now, we no longer have to shelter in fear. Now we, as the followers of the risen Christ, we shelter in hope. So let's turn to Luke chapter 24 together. Let's read about the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes for our lives, for our families and our communities, and for the whole world. Why is it that we can now step out of darkness? We can step out of that fear and discover hope in sheltering in the wings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Luke's account of that first Easter morning gives us four reasons why we can shelter in resurrection hope. The first is that Jesus opens perplexed hearts. Let's look in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. How quickly they had forgotten Jesus' promises. That he would rise from the dead. Even Mary Magdalene and these other devout women. They were not expecting to go to that tomb and to find it open, much less empty. Now remember, Jesus had been buried in haste because the Sabbath was coming. So he was taken off the cross. He was buried without all of the proper anointings. So they had spent Saturday gathering their spices, making their preparation. And on Sunday morning, they were going to come and they were going to perform this last act of love and devotion for Jesus. So imagine their surprise and their horror to find the stone rolled away. They wondered, had someone stolen Jesus' body or... Or worse, has someone desecrated it? As some final act of hatred? 
I imagine that they entered that tomb afraid of what they might find inside. But what they found in the tomb was nothing. And their thoughts still didn't go to Jesus is alive. It still didn't even occur to them. It took angels appearing to remind them of Jesus' predictions of his own death and resurrection before their minds could grasp what their eyes had seen. But once that realization dawned, they knew they had to go and tell everyone that Jesus was alive. But then the apostles failed to remember Jesus' own words. And they thought the women were crazy or hallucinating in their grief. This was nonsense. Dead men don't get up and leave tombs empty. But Peter was alarmed enough for himself that he had to run to the tomb to see. And what he found was an open door of an empty tomb. You know, it's tragic when God's own people forget his word. Because when we forget the words of God, we live defeated lives. These disciples had been sheltering in defeat while their master was defeating death. That triumphant procession in Jerusalem a week before must have seemed like a distant memory and a cruel joke to the disciples. But while they were cowering in fear, the real triumphant procession was just getting started. Like we so often do, they allowed their circumstances to override their faith. And so their minds were riddled with doubt and discouragement. But it didn't have to be like that. I mean, Jesus had told the disciples everything they needed to know. Even way back when Peter first confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The disciples had no excuse. They should have been prepared for this. They should have been expecting this. What about us? Aren't we also without excuse? I mean, we've got some advantages the disciples did not have. We have the complete and full Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and we have the fullness of of the Spirit of God indwelling us. Romans 15, 4, Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we may have hope. We need endurance. We need encouragement. And it comes to the Word of God. It gives us hope. God has given us His Word to inspire us to endure the trials of life, to navigate through the rough patches on the narrow way, to prepare us for whatever may come. And when we forget God's Word, that's when we find ourselves wallowing in the valley of the shadow of death instead of walking through it and into the resurrection garden where the tomb is still empty. If all you do is watch the news and keep track of all those who are sick and hospitalized and dying, is it any wonder you're going to get discouraged and disillusioned? Is it any wonder your heart is perplexed? But rather than give in to that discouragement because we have troubles in this world, we need to be encouraged because Jesus has promised us He's overcome this world. See, when people become disillusioned and perplexed, it's because they're believing in illusions to begin with. They're believing in the illusions that the culture teaches them. They're believing the lies that they tell themselves. The Bible, the Word of God doesn't give us false hopes. It doesn't sugarcoat the difficulties of life. The Bible shows us the world as it really is, but then it points us to Jesus. 
who has overcome the world. We have everything we need to live a victorious life. We have God's Word before us to show us the way. We have God's Spirit within us to empower us to follow it. And we have God's Son above us making intercession for us. We need Jesus to open our eyes. To see beyond the illusions so we can see the truth that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Jesus opens perplexed hearts. Secondly, Jesus opens discouraged eyes. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 13, in, in, uh, sorry, in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You can tell that these two disciples were perplexed. They were discouraged. They had such high hopes for Jesus, for who he is, for what he represented. And it seemed like those hopes were dashed. And even though they had heard these rumors that the tomb was empty, they had heard from the women of the angels who said Jesus was alive, and yet they're still downcast. They couldn't bring themselves to believe it. Despair and doubt blinded them to the presence of Jesus with them. Let's continue in verse 25. Just read a couple more verses here. So Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. These men knew the scriptures. These disciples had seen Jesus work miracles. They had heard Jesus teach. They had been with Jesus. And even though they were told about the angels in the empty tomb, they still didn't get it. Isn't it amazing how we can have something staring us right in the face and we don't even notice it? It goes right over our heads. Some of my favorite movies are movies that have a twist ending. You get to the end of the movie and something is revealed uh, that makes you go, oh my goodness, and you realize that, that nothing that you were watching was what it seemed to be. Movies like The Sixth Sense, that's kind of an old one, or Interstellar uh, can be like that. And so the next time you watch it, knowing how it ends, you pick up on all these things you didn't notice before, and you think, the story makes so much more sense now. That's what the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus does for the whole of Scripture, for all of the Bible. But still, without a personal relationship with the risen Christ, we can miss it. 
Jesus promised His followers that after He ascended to the Father, God would send the Holy Spirit to teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. And that is essentially what these two disciples on the road to Emmaus are experiencing with Jesus. He opened up the Word of God. He talked them through the redemptive story and He showed how all of Scripture pointed to Him. Let's continue in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. When He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him, and He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It wasn't until Jesus broke the bread that they recognized who they were with. That Jesus was present with them. Now, if you're like me, you've read that and you've thought, okay, well, that makes sense. They're thinking about the, the Last Supper when Jesus broke the bread. Or maybe you think, well, you know, it probably reminded them of when Jesus fed the multitudes. Possibly. But I like to think that it was simply that breaking bread and, and, and blessing a meal was a common, ordinary, everyday experience for them. You may think, well, that sounds kind of dull. Why would you want it to mean that? Why, why do you assume it, it's that, David? Because, you know, what? that's how God often speaks to us. Not through big, flashy, dramatic moments, but through the small, the quiet, the everyday, the goings and the comings of life. That's where God meets us. That's where he speaks to us. I think it was simply that they shared table fellowship with Jesus. They were sitting down and they were breaking bread with their Lord. You know, one of the things I hope about this pandemic is that God can somehow take all of this and use it for the good of his people and the glory of his name. And some of the things that I hope that he'll do is, is for one, that he'll help us to never again take for granted the gathering together of God's people. I mean, I hope that we never just take it flippantly that we can come together on Sunday mornings and we can see each other and we can be in the same room together and we can hear each other's voices as we worship God. To fellowship together, to, to eat around the table in the fellowship hall on a Wednesday night, to sit in a classroom with your Sunday school class. May we never take that for granted again. But on the flip side of that, I hope that this will also help us understand that our relationship with God isn't confined to this building. And that our relationship with Jesus is far more than just about education, about studies and quarterlies and sitting and hearing somebody teach. It's about more than just preacher passing on information to congregation or teacher passing on information to a Sunday school class. It's not just the transfer of knowledge. It's the transformation of our hearts that God is after. That's what He wants. And that takes a daily, vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't leave Jesus in this building when we go into the world. And that means that wherever you are, at home, at work, at school, in the marketplace, it is sacred ground because Jesus is there with you. 
And this story shows us that education and information aren't enough. I mean, even if Jesus were your Sunday school teacher, if we're like these two disciples, we still wouldn't get it. Because it's not just about what we hear and think about in our minds. It's what is happening in our heart. Rick Warren said Jesus did not die on the cross and rise from the dead just so we could live comfortable, well-adjusted lives. His purpose is far deeper. He wants to make us like Himself before He takes us to heaven. This is our greatest privilege, our immediate responsibility, and our ultimate destiny. And the only way that we can be spiritually transformed into Christ-likeness is to have a daily, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. We need to break bread with Jesus every day. These disciples talked about a warming in their hearts as Jesus explained the Scriptures to them. See, opening our eyes to see Jesus isn't just intellectual. It's not just a mind thing. It's a heart thing. It's about love, hope, faith, and trust. It's not always rational. Sometimes it defies logic. They felt the truth at the core of their being. When we're in an intimate fellowship with Jesus... Yes, we're going to learn a great deal. But more than that, we're going to feel and experience things that can't be taught. They can only be caught by being in the presence of the Master. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will begin to think, act, and be like Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a place for reason and logic in the Christian faith. There is. And that brings us to the next point. Jesus not only opens perplexed hearts and discouraged eyes, He opens worried minds. Let's look at verses 36 and 37. While they were still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, I love that. That that tells you just how inexplicable this was to them. Just how much they, even though they're talking about all of this, even though it's like, yeah, Simon saw him, and, and these two are like, yeah, we sat down, we broke bread with him. He, he, he preached to us along the road. Even though they're talking about all of this, Jesus shows up in the midst, and they still think it's a ghost. <laughs> just, I just love that. And let's go in in verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. They, I love that line, they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. Now, that's, that's amazing. Have you ever thought about joy and amazement leading to disbelief? But we kind of talk about that, right? We say something was just too good to be true. It just seemed to be too good to be true. That's what they're saying. Now, does Jesus judge them for this reaction? Does He get impatient with their amazement? No. He is so kind. He's so gentle and patient. He goes out of his way to invite them to look and to touch at his hands and his feet. He sits down as a demonstration and eats food in front of them. He offers them tangible explanations. He says, come and see. Come and touch. It's me. In verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. 
Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Without the mind of Christ revealed to us by the Spirit of God, we can't comprehend God's purpose or will. The redemptive story of the Bible makes no sense to the natural mind. Jesus' own followers experiencing and knowing all that they had. They had a tough time following this. How much more do people today have a tough time understanding this? We have to understand that lost people aren't going to necessarily get it. They're going to misrepresent or misunderstand the gospel. They're going to mischaracterize us as Christians and churches. We shouldn't be alarmed that lost people think and act like lost people. But that's all the more reason why we should study the Word of God. We should let the, the Spirit of God warm our hearts and open our minds to understand the truth of Scripture. I encourage you, there are some great books. Uh, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Timothy Keller's The Reason for God. Uh, N.T. Wright has written a fantastic work on the resurrection. Read these books. Study the resurrection so that you can be better equipped to help the people in your life, to help your one understand the reality of that open tomb. And we need to live out and proclaim that truth every day. We need to do it with patience. We need to do it with prayer in our hearts. We need to do it loving our neighbors the way Jesus loved us. Peter Marshall said the stone was rolled away from the door, not to permit Christ to come out, but to enable the disciples to go in. See, God wants people to understand. He's not making this too difficult. That empty tomb stands today as a testament, as an open invitation to the world to come and see that Jesus Christ is not here. He has risen just as He said. We need to be a part of being that instrument to people. Not everybody can go to Israel and see the empty tomb. Not ever, none of us have the physical Jesus with us to touch His hands and His side. But you and I can be that physical representation. You and I can be those ambassadors of the risen Christ to a lost and dying world. And that brings us to the last thing that Jesus opens. Jesus opens joyful lips. Let's look at the last of this chapter. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, Jesus says. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Jesus said that he was sending them out as witnesses. Now what do witnesses do? Witnesses... Give testimony of what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, what they know. Does a witness judge, condemn, accuse? No. Our role is not to judge or condemn anyone. Our role is to simply bear witness. To tell what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced... To let other people know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. He arose from the grave on the third day. He stands ready to forgive and to heal and to restore. And He's coming back again someday. That is our job. 
And thankfully, Jesus doesn't even leave us to have to do that with our own intellect and our own power. Jesus says, I'm going to send a helper to you. His own Holy Spirit enables us to be His witnesses. It's as if Jesus bears witness to Himself through us. I find it interesting that at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, you find a scene in the temple where a doubtful priest, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, a doubting priest, experiences an angel and leaves in silence. And here at the end of Luke's Gospel, you've got these people that have experienced the risen Christ coming into the temple, singing joyfully. What a turnaround. What a difference it makes. And you know, the choice is ours. See, we can keep silent like old Zechariah. We can allow the doubt, the discouragement, the disillusions, the fears. We can allow that to keep us quiet. Or we can choose to celebrate in resurrection hope and to go out and to spread the good news with joyful lips. Do you need to come to Jesus today? Maybe you need to let Him open up your mind and your heart to see the truth of who Jesus is and the reality that you need Him. You need His forgiveness. You need His grace. You need His transforming power at work in your life. I invite you, if that's you, please talk to somebody. You likely know someone who goes to church, someone who's a Christian, maybe someone here at First Baptist Church. I invite you to leave a comment if you're on YouTube or Facebook. Reach out to us in some way and say, I want to know Jesus. We would love nothing more and to help you do that this Easter Sunday. Maybe God is speaking to your heart as a believer. And He's opening your eyes to see the needs all around you. And He's helping you to realize that there are opportunities in your life for you to open your lips and joyfully share that good news with others. Maybe today you just need to make a commitment to God and say, God, forgive me for keeping quiet. God, forgive me for allowing my own insecurities and fears to keep me from telling the people that I love the good news about Jesus. Our neighbors right now are sheltering in place like we are. Some of them are sheltering in fear. But we can help them discover that they can shelter in hope. No matter what life may be throwing their way, we can help them to step out of that darkness of fear and into the light of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that in the midst of these difficult days, we have hope. You have overcome the world. You give us victory. We know the end of the story. The end of the story isn't this. This is not the end. Just as Good Friday was not the end, Easter Sunday was coming. Help us to look to your future with hope in our hearts and to share the reason for the hope that we have with other people. Help us to do it in gentleness and respect. It's in the name of the risen Lord we pray. Amen.